now that we're here, I'm just like, this is exactly what we had on our vision board, which was like the turquoise waters, white sand beaches, you know, hammock on the beach, the whole shebang. And like all the pieces just kind of came together. And I think when you can be super intentional about what you want, then you'll find a way to make it happen. You're listening to the Freedom Found Podcast, an audio community for freedom-driven entrepreneurs wanting to build and scale an impactful online business that allows you to spend more time with your toes in the sand than your fingers on the keyboard. I'm your host, Crystal Church. I'm a copywriter and consultant, borderless entrepreneur, and wannabe dog mom. On this podcast, we'll talk all things online business, marketing, strategy, mindset, health, travel, and what it's really like to be a borderless entrepreneur. Freedom Found is all about equipping you with insight and actionable tips to help you build your business around your life so you can spend more time exploring new cities, hanging with your family, working on that new business project, or quite frankly, however the hell you'd like. full-time world traveler, the CEO of Crystal Church Consulting, a boutique copywriting studio, and host of the Freedom Found podcast, where she helps ambitious entrepreneurs build their businesses, sell their offers, and find their freedom, which is absolutely amazing. If you've ever checked out Crystal's website, it's like the most incredibly worded (laughs) website I've ever read. Welcome, Crystal. I'm just so incredibly honored to have you as my guest. I'm so excited to learn all about your story and advice today. But before we start, for those that don't know you yet, I would love for you to share a little bit more about you personally. Thank you so, so much for having me. It is such a blessing to be here. And I'm so excited to dive into everything today. And for those of you listening that don't know me, I am from Portland, Oregon, although I actually haven't lived at home in about 10 years, just over actually. And I spent the last 10 years really just traveling and living life in a different country every year or two. And in a past life, I used to be an educator. So I would travel around and I would live and work in a different international school. And I've lived in some pretty amazing places and now am based in Mauritius, which is a tiny island nation off of the southeastern coast of Africa and kind of nestled between like, let's say Madagascar and the Seychelles and Maldives. So we're out here in the Indian Ocean just with turquoise waters and sunshine. And I'm just a total outdoors gal. So I think that's the Oregonian in me. I'm always outside, always hiking, always on my paddleboard. And if I'm inside, I'm probably just cuddling my cats and reading a good book. So amazing. Oregon is so beautiful. I love Cannon Beach. It's gorgeous down there. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I I don't know if it's still tax-free, but when I did go many years ago, it's a tax-free state. Oh, yes. Um, So that's like perfect for shopping. Honestly, I think I was spoiled growing up because I thought that was the norm. And then I started going to other states and I was like, wait a second, let me just understand this. (laughs) Oh my God. And then Mauritius, like my family friend, her husband is from there and she was, cause this is not a place that I've even become familiar with, right? It's, Mm. It's not one of the common cities that you hear about in Africa. And she was telling me about it. I'm like, what is this place? And I looked it up. It is incredibly beautiful. Like 
Wow. It is. it is. Honestly, I always say we are not here by accident because people are always like, wow, that's really random. And I 100% agree. I actually didn't even know where Mauritius was six months before we moved here, which is insane to say. And now that we're here, I'm just like, this is exactly what we had on our vision board, which was like the turquoise waters, white sand beaches, you know, hammock on the beach, the whole shebang. And like all the pieces just kind of came together. And I think when you can be super intentional about what you want, then you'll find a way to make it happen. And yeah, that's sort of what Mauritius became for us. Mm, I love that. And it's so cool that you mentioned that because I just did a post, I think it was this week, um, where like, instead of saying, this is your dream, make it a goal. Because when you turn it into a goal, then you create an action plan to actually make it happen. Oh, I love that. I was actually talking to my partner, Dale, about that last night. And he I mean, I think both of us are very practical people, but he's a little bit more in the practical side of, oh, is this possible? Can we make this a reality? And I was saying, I was like, I really, truly believe you have to say not if, but when, when this happens. And that allows you to step out and into this new self where you are making decisions and acting on behalf of that goal like you're speaking of. Mm, I love that. All right. So let's start at the beginning. What were you doing prior to having this boutique copywriting business? And what was your journey leading up to creating it? Oh, so I left the U.S. in 2012 with my teaching license and a degree in elementary education. And I got my first teaching job in Romania. And I worked at a British school there and stayed a year. And then I moved to Singapore working at an international school. And then I moved to Australia and I did my master's and then to Myanmar and Germany and back to Singapore. And all of that sort of moving around was my dream. I was like, I am so lucky and so blessed to have found a career that allows me to excel, allows me to move up and challenge myself and travel at the same time, right? I was like, this is the best of both worlds. Like, how did I land this? And as I sort of moved from school to school, one of the things that prompted me other than travel, was the fact that there was always something in that work environment that I found to be a bit unhealthy or maybe toxic. Um, And in my last post before I started this business, I was in Singapore and it was an incredibly toxic and sexist work environment. And the school as a whole was a wonderful place to be, but I was placed within a smaller team and a department in the school that was very, very much a boys club. And I was actually later told that I was hired as the solution, quote unquote, to this problem. Let's hire a a woman. Let's bring somebody in that's going to, you know, maybe challenge the norm and shake things up a little bit and have them be the answer to our problems, which if you're listening, I'm guessing you can realize it's probably not a great idea to send somebody into an environment where they are going to be actively discriminated against. And that's essentially what happened. And I was just in this role and I was like, I'm the type of person who I will always stand up and I'll always say what I believe in. And I will always say, you know, ways that I think we can make things better and ways that, um, you know, we can challenge ourselves to be better. And I honestly just was getting exhausted of the fight and exhausted of having to be that go-to. And I just kept thinking, I can't do this for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years of my career. 
I just can't. Because even though this was an isolated case here, at every other school that I had worked in, there was something that was just unhealthy, whether it was the workload, the stress, the extreme environment, like when you're an educator of having to show up and perform and I honestly just didn't want it for the rest of my life. I felt exhausted thinking about it and it it just didn't feel fulfilling. So even though I had this great opportunity to travel and go to new places and take all of these holidays, I on the other side would have to go back into school at the end of every vacation and just feel this dread and this overwhelm and this stress and anxiety. And I felt like I was only me during the time off you know, or during the good hours where you're actually with the students and not dealing with the politics and the policies and everything within the the school environment. So I read a blog, everything from moving to Mauritius to starting my job started with, I read a blog and I read a blog while I was on vacation with Dale in um, Bali and I was like, I don't want to go back to school. So I was Googling, I was like, what can I do as a writer? I'd always been a writer. And I was like, I know I could make money doing something online. What can I do? And I learned about copywriting. And I was like, this sounds super interesting. Let me get into this a little bit more. And that's when I just decided, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to take the leap and I'm going to make this happen. And I'm going to start a business. And here we are then today, just over two years later. And I just can't even believe that everything that's happened has happened so quickly. And I think it goes to show what you and I were saying, Jessica, that instead of saying, you know, if you're saying when, and instead of saying it's a dream, it's a goal and making it happen. And that's, that's really what I did. I love that. Um, I love that you traveled so much like that, that gives you so much life experience. It opens your eyes to so many different things and it like puts you in a position to try different things and to see different opportunities. Um, It's just such a great thing. It is. Like even in that environment, it was like in the educational system. We see that everywhere in corporate. I've I've seen it, the boys club, like Mm -hmm. it's so frustrating as a woman to know you're in that type of environment and have to put up with it. Right. It's just like, oh, it really is. And I think you're right. I think people across so many industries can relate to this experience. And I was even talking to a coaching client of mine last night, and she was saying she just got her first male client. And she was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I really love this guy, but it's like so out of her her element and her depth now. And um, she'll be wonderful with him. But I was reflecting on the fact that I, I haven't had a single male client. Um, and that that has just been such a shift and such a change to be able to work with women that are like just ready to stand up and empower each other and help each other and, you know, excel together. So I, I love our girls club now. Yeah, absolutely. And the thought that like completely escaped my mind was the fact that once you made that decision that was aligned with what you truly wanted in your true self, everything just happened so quickly. It, it truly did. And I think that the number one thing that holds us back is ourselves. The number one thing that keeps us from going after what we really want is the thought of, can I get what, what I really want? And the answer is yes. It may not be in the timeline you want or in the way that you want, but you can absolutely go and get it. We just have to decide whether or not we're willing to put in the effort and the energy and go down the path, even when we don't exactly know what's going to happen. 
Exactly. That's so funny because my coach just recently, I asked her, I'm like, what do you think based on all of the conversations that we've like we've had? Because she's mentioned that, you know, she can pinpoint within a few minutes of a conversation exactly what your block is. Right. And I'm like, what do you think mine? And she's like, you're getting in your own way. <laughs> like you create these blocks for yourself. And I'm yeah. like, that's an interesting one. Like we, we often get in our own way and prevent, like put in these blocks that prevent us from getting what we want when it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, that's so true. I think that that's like an ever evolving entrepreneurial like challenge of ours is to continue to sort of identify when we're doing that because it's like you don't know if you don't know, right? <laughs> so you can be actively participating in it. And I, I catch myself doing that all the time and being like, wait a second, what story am I telling myself here? And is that story valid? Exactly. It's the one thing that surprised me about entrepreneurship is it's not just about business. It's the most in-depth personal or self-development journey I've ever been on. Oh, and true. So, yes. It's so important to like stay self-aware and to reflect constantly on how you are showing up, how you're feeling, think like how you're making decisions from what place. Like it's just such an interesting thing. It's not just about business. It's so like so not what I had expected. Yeah, it's so true. So well said. <laughs> All right. So how did so we know how the idea came to be? How did you feel about leaving this career that you had obviously worked so hard for? You've put in a lot of years and you know went to a bunch of different school systems and stuff like that. How did you feel about leaving that behind to try something brand new to yourself? Oh, I was terrified. I, on one hand, was like devastated to leave my students because I love teaching. I love education and the time when you're in the classroom and it's it's you guys doing what, you know, I actually set out to do when I was like, I want to be an educator and you have those moments together. I was so afraid of losing that piece and feeling, I think, maybe lonely because when you're an educator, you know, you're surrounded by people all day and you're surrounded by kids and you have, you know, these connections with everybody. And so I was worried about losing that element. Um, and then, of course, I was terrified of doing something new and about what would people say and putting my name on something that went on the internet. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to like actually stand up and own this decision publicly. So that was a whole nother like mindset hurdle that I had to, to sort of work through and become comfortable with and, um, you know, just really start to build the confidence to put myself out there and to say either I'm all in or I'm not in at all, because to me being one foot in and one foot out just wasn't going to work. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. That's so good. Okay. So what was like, what was your experience starting your business um, and then growing it. So I started my um, business, really the first arm, because the Casey brand now has two arms. We've got the Casey Copy Studio, where we do personality-driven research-backed sales copy for established industry-leading entrepreneurs. And then on the other side of the business, I've got my business education platform. So we've got our coaching programs and other products to help support service providers in growing their business. That came secondary. So when I first started, I was like, I'm going to be a copywriter. And I was like, the 
email go to in like my own vision. You know, when I set out and was like, what do I want to do and what do I want to create? I want to be the email copywriter. So in March of 2020, this is completely coincidental with the pandemic. Um, I started my business and I started it really focusing on providing a lot of value and starting my own email list. And I think this is one of the things that really drove my success right away was because a lot of people focus on social. And while I was focusing on Instagram as well, I put majority of my emphasis into this email list. And most people I find will wait until later to prioritize that or even start it. You know, they think that they need a little traction. They think they need to grow authority in a different way in order to bring authority into their email list for that community. And For me, I had so much success being able to cultivate really personalized relationships with email subscribers and just pour into them. So I spent the first like three months of business pouring into my email community and um, starting my Instagram account for business. And that's when I landed my first five paying clients from my email list. And I did $97 website copy audits for them. And they then propelled me taking those social proof pieces and testimonials to then launch my first day rate offer. And I started day rates because I had worked in a few longer copy projects and I, oh my gosh, I was overwhelmed. I was so stressed. I was like, this is taking so long, so much of my energy. And I'm earning like less than $10 an hour when you add it up all the, the time that I spent on them. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to launch some day rates. I've seen other people do it. And I think that I can make this successful. And I think that I can still provide a high value in a day rate format for people. So I launched that quite quickly in my business and became booked out with them. And that became really my main signature offer was offering my day rates and supporting people on their email funnels, in their sales pages, and then in their website copy as well. So once I did that and I gained some traction, I then started the second arm of my business, let's say almost a year later, about January, I believe January 2021. So nearly a year later, I started the second arm of my business, which was the coaching platform. And that was started with my program, Elevated Brand Accelerator. And I taught people and still teach my clients inside of EBA the three things that helped me grow rapidly and increase my authority and become my client's number one choice. So that is, of course, our email marketing and building our brand authority and Lux client experience. So those are the three things that really helped drive and propel my business and now um, are the signature trio that I teach all of my coaching clients and then specifically inside of EBA. And then I continued to grow both arms of the business. So my one woman copywriting show has turned into the Casey Copy Studio, where we have a team of talented copywriters and myself working on every single project together. And then, of course, we've got EBA on the other side and Freedom Found Collective, which is my signature mastermind helping women scale to their first and next six figures. Wow. (laughs) That... That is quite an action-packed two years. Oh, it really is. And I left a lot of details out, but yeah, it was definitely a busy two years, but I'm kind of like, go big or go home. 
Oh, I love that. Okay. So you mentioned a few things. So I love that you, you offered something that works with you, like how you work best and like the way that you want to operate versus what you see everybody else doing in that industry. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this is something that I found, um, that I realized this year is like, you don't have to do exactly what everybody else is doing within your profession, within your like niche, right? You can actually design your services, your offers, the way that you want to serve and the way that you work best. Oh, absolutely. And I think for me too, in the very beginning, and even before I started my business, but I'd been learning about copywriting, I was very much in the copywriter bubble. I was very much like industry specific. And I think the problem with that is it can become just a little bit too, let's say, like we were discussing before, you don't know what you don't know, you know? And you need to step outside of that industry and you need to be exposed to other things. So when I started the business in March, I started getting into the online business world on Instagram and exposing myself to people in different niches and doing different things and really just learning as much as I can so I could figure out, like you said, Jessica, what works for me and you know, what do I want to just take as my core elements and really focus on those because you can't do everything, you know, um, you can do a select few things well at one time. So that's what I was really focusing on doing with providing a white glove service to my clients, which helps create repeat business, referral business. It helps, um, build the lifetime value of your customer and build your brand authority as well. And then building the brand authority and then the email marketing. So for me, I found what worked well for me and was like, I can help other people do this. And I started getting, you know, asked some questions here and there by other copywriters, other service providers, designers, you name it. And I was like, I don't need to keep this information to myself, you know, like let's share it with each other. So um, that's sort of how that was birthed and came out into the world. I love that. And I love that you've mentioned, you know, your client experience, nurturing your email list, you know, like the white love experience. And I think it's something that we need to reprioritize um, as business owners. It's not, it's not about the money. It's not about, you know, the numbers. It's all about the service, right? Like we're here to provide a service. We're here to support our clients and that should be the primary focus. So I love that you kind of went focused on that direction. Yes. Yeah. I think that's so well said. There's nothing like getting into a relationship with a service provider and feeling completely taken care of you know, and feeling like I have no questions. They've explained everything. I know what's expected of me and of them. I know what's happening next, you know, and just feeling like you can actually sit back and take a deep breath instead of getting into a relationship with a service provider and wondering, are they going to do a good job? Ooh, I wonder what they're doing right now on the project. I don't even know where we are or are they waiting for me on something, you know, and having those sort of questions and anxieties come up. I, like I always say to my clients, make them feel like they are the VIP. I don't care how much they've spent with you. If they are on your smallest package or your largest one, you treat them like they are the most important client in your Rolodex and you just shower them with love and you shower them with communication and, and that white glove service so that they feel taken care of. And that will come back to you tenfold. Exactly. I think people forget that when you do that, 
that leads to repeat business that leads to word of mouth. So a lot of referrals. And that means that you can spend less time selling because you have that to draw from. Yes, exactly. It's so true. I love that. And then the email list. So um, I love that you mentioned that as well, because that is something that you own, right? You own your email list versus social media followers. As soon as that platform's done, it's over. You got to start from scratch on another platform. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Usually I'm the one like getting on this boat. So yes, Um, email is really everything. I think people are starting to notice this more now. I don't know if you've noticed it yet, Jessica, but I've started noticing people are talking about email even more than they used to. And maybe that's the exhaustion of the algorithm changes on social or, you know, always needing to learn a new thing. And we're coming back to the idea of like, oh, wait a second, email's consistent. (laughs) Email is there. My subscribers will actually get my message. Absolutely. I mean, as a business owner myself, I'm just like, I just want to run my business. I just want to serve my clients. I'm tired of spending so much like brain power on trying to figure out the algorithm stuff, the the new features coming out and how to use them best in like my marketing strategies. Like that's not my business. I know, but somehow we get into it and we're like, wait a second. Now I'm like an Instagram expert. Like I don't understand these two sides don't add up and it's ridiculous. And we shouldn't probably do the math because it might be depressing, but how much time we've all spent like in a year on Instagram, trying to figure it out, scrolling, trending audio, like whatever we're doing. Um, And I think we need to take that and not say we have to say goodbye to it, but like, how can we support our businesses on another platform that we own that isn't going to be changing algorithms that we're constantly having to learn and update, um, but where we can literally show up, serve, and then be able to go back to our clients and be in our business, like you said, which is what we're all here to do anyway. Exactly. Mm, I love that. All right. So biggest lessons and biggest wins that you've had as an entrepreneur moments where you're just like, holy crap, I just achieved that. Oh, maybe I'll start with biggest wins and then and then we can dive into the lessons learned. And I think that this is something that will like ever evolve, but no matter where we end up as a brand and as a business in the future, I will always, always, always remember the first time I hit my first 7K month. That was like, I kind of flew past 5K and went from like making a 3K month to a 7K month. And that was like in the period of time when I was like really um, getting sold out with my day rate offers and they were building traction and I realized, okay, I found something that somebody really needs. My ideal client is really responding to this. And I hit 7K and I was just like, wow, like what am I even doing? I'm just like picking up my phone. Like we're talking about marketing myself on Instagram and all of a sudden I'm replacing my teaching salary, right? That was just mind blowing to me and very humbling and something that I will always, always remember. And another moment that like I will always hold so close to my heart is when I launched the first iteration of Elevated Brand Accelerator and had six incredible women join me in that small group cohort. And and I exceeded my goals of how many people were going to come inside and the the caliber and like the community of women that joined the program was really what blew me away. And I just felt so 
grateful and so humbled that these women like put their trust in me. And I feel that way every single um, round. And every time I sign a client, that feeling doesn't go away. But that was like the first moment that I had done something in that in that world, not just a, a copy project and um, signing one client, but bringing these women together. And I, I'll just never forget it. it so beautiful. And in terms of lessons learned, wow, so many. I think for me, I mean, like it's an ever, ever continuing journey, right? But for me, some of the biggest lessons that I've learned have been that you don't have to wake up and feel like completely passionate, jumping out of bed, birds are chirping. Yes, this is going to be amazing. And I'm going to go and do, you know, my ClickUp tasks and this and this every day. But you can make it fun. You don't have to feel over the moon about every single thing, but you can approach it in like, how can I have fun today? And how can I make this enjoyable? And how can I structure my days and my tasks in a way that I want to show up? So really remembering that it's like, it's mindset. Everything we talked about in the beginning, it's like, it's always coming back to the way that you frame things. And it's very easy, I think, to get bogged down and feel like, wow, I'm really busy right now. I've got all these things going on. Or wow, I wish I was really busy and I wish I was signing more clients. And oh, I need to figure out my Instagram marketing so that I can do so. But if we come from a place of, okay, let's find some more clients on Instagram. Like let's create some fun reels. You know, let's really speak to somebody. Or okay, I've got a whole list of client calls today. Like I'm gonna show up. I am so excited to show up. And one of the things I journal on almost every morning is what I am coming to work to do. And I'm journaling on things like I'm coming to work to, you know, build our half million dollar year. I'm coming to work to help my clients have their first six figure launch. I am showing up today to help so-and-so overcome this mindset block we've been talking about. And when I started like reframing things and shifting things in that direction, I just became so much more like enlivened every day to sit down and to do what I do. So that's the first lesson. It's all about the way that you frame things. And I think the second biggest lesson that I've learned has been to stay dedicated. You don't have to feel motivated every single day. It's unrealistic to think that we are going to, but staying consistent, dedicated, and showing up will produce amazing results. And I think the businesses that last and the ones that you see today where entrepreneurs have been in business for five, 10 years, and you're looking at them being like, oh, wow, I want a business like hers. She showed up when it was hard. She kept going and she's still doing it, right? The businesses that fall off and the businesses that don't make it are often the ones that are maybe a little inconsistent or instead of overcoming hurdles, it's where people fold the cards. And that might be right for them in that situation. You need to judge what's right for you. But if you want to get to that point, to that place where you're seeing people now, you need to stay and you need to show up and you need to do the work even when you don't feel like it. But we can make it fun. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I love that. Those are key lessons. So everybody tuning in, definitely take note of that because it definitely makes a, ch it makes it a change. Like it makes an impact in the way that you show up in your business. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's dive into your expertise. So what is conversion copy? How important is copy to the success, the success of your business and your marketing initiatives? Oh, yes. Okay. Let's get nerdy. Um, conversion copy. 
first and foremost is copy that is research-backed, that speaks to your ideal reader, and then that you come back to and refine based on data. So this was coined by really the mother of conversion copy, Joanna Weeb, and the process is starting with research, actually looking at data, what your ideal client, what the marketplace is saying, what they need, what they desire, what their struggles are, all that good stuff. Then taking that data and doing some competitor analysis, what else exists, where can you fit into the marketplace, and creating a message that is so unique to both your brand and how you want to show up. And then overlapping, imagine a Venn diagram, right? Your brand overlapping with your target market and creating a voice and a message in that sweet spot in the center that speaks to them, that is compelling, and that adequately communicates the value of your offer. And I say that because so often we think that people know what our offer is, what the value is behind it, and why people should buy. And then we wonder why they aren't. So we actually have to make sure that it is adequately communicating that value, right? That people can come to, let's say, your sales page or your website or read your emails and understand why that thing is for them. All right. And then the next step, the final phase of conversion copy is actually coming back to optimize. So looking at the data and saying, what are our open rates? What are our click-through rates? How could we tweak this to improve that? Um, Where are people maybe falling off of the sales page? Can we bring in some clarity? Or is there a different message people need to hear here to take action? So really making it full circle, like copywriting is never a one-and-done task, but always coming back and always looking at the data and, yeah, just getting nerdy with it. So that's our basic overview of conversion copy. And really the difference with conversion copy and just any kind of quote-unquote copywriting is that it is strategy and research-backed and not just, I'm going to guess what my audience needs and I'm going to throw that spaghetti at the wall, but I know what my audience needs and there's very little guesswork involved. Hmm. Okay. So when it comes to creating content, like I'd love to know your thoughts on this. So I've seen people create like these long winded sales pages that kind of take them through, you know, their pain points and then their desires and like all that type of stuff. And then I see ones that are like pretty much straightforward and tell you what you are to expect, what you're going to get, what the transformation is and what the package includes. So like, what is the best approach? Ooh, great question. So it's really hard to say without a tangible example because we need to zoom out of those two pages. And instead of comparing the two pages, we need to compare the two funnels. So where are people in, let's say, example A that has the full long form sales page, as we call it, where are those people coming from? And then example B that has the shorter, just an overview and you know, here's your call to action button. Where are those people coming from? I would hope that the second page, the one that is much shorter and just an overview, would have a lot more information prior or that brand would have a lot more authority. So somebody with a very short, succinct page needs to have clear authority. Their audience really needs to know what they stand for, who they are, and like where their credibility is coming from in order to be so short. That is a, a risky move because you're not allowing the reader to have as much, let's say, nurturing relationship building time with you on the page. And that's okay if they've had it elsewhere. 
But if they haven't had it elsewhere, then you're getting into a little bit of a risky situation. Um, long form sales page is, yeah, it's your classic. We're going to take you through all the phases. Um, it is very, let's say, proven successful. Um, but there, there's a rhyme and a reason for it being a certain length. And the perfect length of a sales page really should be down to saying what your reader needs to hear as long as they need to hear it and then nothing more, right? So we don't want to make just a long page to make a long page and to talk about every tiny nook and corner of our offer. But we want to make a page that takes your reader from problem aware to solution aware to product aware and then most aware after that. And that's it. We don't need to add any extra fluff in. Usually a long form page will come from, let's say, a live launch. Somebody's launching on Instagram or to their email list. And then you're getting some information top of funnel. And then they're saying, hey, go get the rest of the information on the page. So they have not received that abundance of information ahead of time necessarily that the other scenario should be giving if they're having a shorter page. And then you can also have a long form sales page just selling for you evergreen. So one of the things we do a lot of the time for clients is evergreen funnel copy. So maybe they have Instagram or Facebook ads that direct somebody to their free webinar. And then when somebody gets that, They'll go to the emails that we've written. And then from those emails, we'll introduce the offer and that will point them to the sales page. So at this point, somebody doesn't have that relationship built as much. They need more information and they need to be nurtured through those phases first. I never even considered, like, considering, I never even thought of considering where the lead came from in order to determine, like, what type of sales page needs to be created like that's it's really a lot well, more to it. it there really is and a lot of our clients say that when they come to us they're like oh I just need this one thing and I'm like well let's let's take a bird's eye perspective maybe you don't even need that thing you think you do if we could enhance the thing that you already have right or if we can just look at the customer journey from a whole perspective and see where are people falling off and where can we strengthen your relationship with them I love that. okay so what are the foundational elements that you need in order to create copy that creates results? Like we know that we need to know where the lead is coming from. Um, what else do you need to know in order to be able to create that copy? So one of the first things that you need is voice of customer and this is like really something that you pull out in that research phase I talked about. And voice of customer data is when you're actually going and like you're eavesdropping in a non-creepy way in places like let's say Reddit threads, Facebook groups. You might actually do um, interviews with past clients or customers and you're taking quotes from them. And you are organizing it in a spreadsheet. Like, let's say somebody is speaking to the pains that they're having, not being able to train their dog, right? And you're doing copy for your dog training business. So you might hear somebody saying, oh my gosh, it's so embarrassing. Every time I go out and my dog is just barking and pulling on the leash at other dogs and I just don't even want to go out anymore. What I would do is I would lift that exact verbiage. I would copy, I would paste it into my spreadsheet. And then I would do that a million other times until I've got a lot of data. I would find the commonalities and say, what 
key things are coming up for our ideal client. And maybe one of those key things is that they feel embarrassed taking their dog out that that has poor behavior. So then maybe I'll pull that onto the page and I'll put it and I often I'm very big on ethical copywriting. So I often will try not to poke pains too much, but display some struggles, but then bring it into their desires. What do they truly want? So I might phrase it and I might take that verbiage and say, like, let's stop feeling embarrassed every time we take your dog out and get you feeling confident. And like, you are going to be like the star show at the dog park and you're going to be bringing everybody coffee in the morning and let your dogs play together, you know, and painting that picture for them of what they actually want versus where they are now. So voice of customer is essential. Then of course we need to have these key apps key elements in our messaging. So that's going to be the challenges or struggles that they're experiencing, their desires, where they want to go, and some of the most overlooked pieces. What are the obstacles that they're currently facing in making the decision? So what might be standing in their way of actually signing up and working with you? You need to identify what those are. And then the most important is what is the thing that makes them switch? What is the thing that makes them say it is worth it for me to change my behavior, put more energy, invest financially into something to solve my problem than to stay where I am. Because we as humans so often love to complain about things and point out what our problems are, but we don't always take action on them because it's easy to stay in the known. It's easy to stay put where you are. So we need to identify what is that thing, that pivotal moment that makes somebody switch from saying, okay, I'm ready to you know, stay where I am and just sort of like ruffle through it and then say, no, actually I'm going to take the next step and I am going to propel myself into getting my dog trained and I'm going to put in the hours and the work, even if it's hard. So those key elements are necessary on the page to take somebody from considering to like fully bought in on your offer. Wow. Okay. It's a lot more elaborate than I thought. I I love the detail that you've shared. That's it's definitely a science. <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right. So when you're creating copy, how much personality should we be including in those types of things? Well, it depends on your brand, of course, but I believe that the more human you can be on the page, the more you are going to connect with your ideal reader and the more that they're going to feel connection and want to continue that journey with you in whatever selling capacity you're offering them. So I recommend having splashes of your personality on the page throughout every section. That doesn't mean that you have to... in every single sentence be like overloading personality and putting it over the top, but instead making it sound like you're just sitting down, like over happy hour, having a spicy margarita, talking to your friend. We want them to feel that on the page, whether that's you, that's really more, um, you know, conversational, friendly tone, or maybe you're a bit more sarcastic, or maybe you're a bit more inspirational, whatever voice you know, you have as a brand. And if you haven't established one now, you can start to think about what that might be. Carry that through every element of your brand. So whether that's on your website, whether that's your IG captions, whether that's the way that you're talking to your um, audience in emails, make it consistent so they recognize you and they're like, oh, that's Crystal's voice. Oh, that's Jessica. Oh, that's so-and-so. And And I I can recognize that even without their name attached to it. Hmm. Okay. I like that. 
Okay, I need to revisit my uh, my website. <laughs> <laughs> it's a definitely like an ever evolving process, you know. It's like just have fun with it, and you know, um, I'm always switching things up and being like, "Oh, I liked that last year. I don't like that now. That's totally fine." You know, we're all human. Exactly. Now let's talk about emails. Um, so I just saw your your re- recent email today about creating a welcome sequence, which I absolutely love because I have to get back on tweaking mine. But how can we better nurture that email list? What types of things do you like? Do you suggest those tuning in um, implementing within their business? Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned the welcome sequence because this is one of the most important but somehow overlooked pieces of really nurturing that email subscriber. I think a lot of the times it's easy to start our list and say, I'm going to nurture people with our newsletters, which is fabulous. And if you're doing that, like clapping for you. Um, But one of the first things you can do just to set yourself up for success is have a really engaging, nurturing welcome sequence in place. So this is an email series of, it can vary between three to four to eight, nine emails, which could be quite a long one, but you can have long welcome sequences. Um, On average, most of the welcome sequences that we write are six to seven emails long. And this comes into play near the top of your funnel. So somebody might come to you on your website, they see a pop-up for your freebie and they put their email in and then they get their freebie in the first email of the welcome sequence, the delivery email. And then you've got some nurture value-driven emails coming afterward. That basically establishes a relationship immediately with your subscriber that says, hey, I'm here to provide value, also building your authority and your credibility. And maybe you've got a surprise or two in there for them that helps create a habit in their mind of knowing that when they open emails from Jessica, they're going to be getting something valuable and it teaches them to come back and see what you've got to offer. So welcome sequence, first and foremost, to provide value. And then secondly, those newsletter emails, like I mentioned before, are so key in just maintaining that relationship and bringing people again through those phases of awareness like problem-aware, solution-aware, product-aware, if you're ramping up to launch something or promote an offer, then you'll want to be really bringing people into those phases through your newsletter emails prior to a launch. Thank you so much for being a loyal Freedom Found podcast listener. And if you love this episode, it would mean the world to me if you would pass this on to a friend. This is how we can help support each other and get this message out to more women that might be waiting right now to hear a message just like this. So you can go and share this with your business best friend right now or head on over to leave us a five-star review. Your small gesture really does mean more than you know. Thank you so, so much. Love you lots and I'll catch you next time.